I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In this episode, we talk about Henry Nouwen's book, Turn My Morning Into Dancing, How to Have Hope in Dark Times. You know, I was in line at the uh, UPS store sending something this week, and it came time to pay, and I was actually five cents short. So I turned around to see if anyone could help me, and the only other person in the UPS store was Santa Claus. So I asked him for five cents, and he said, sorry, I don't have any change. Can you believe that? He was Nicholas. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 85. I'm actually very proud of that joke. I like it a lot. Um, so good to be with you. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for um, I've been getting so much feedback that I've totally even like just forgotten to mention, not out of neglect, but just, you know, things are crazy. But just thank you all for all of the love you continue to pour into me, into this podcast. And so um, if you haven't yet rated and reviewed this podcast, please do it. Please uh, encourage and share this with a friend. Um, social media is the best way to do that. It's the highest compliment you could pay us is to uh, pay me to share this uh, on social media. And if you want to become a uh, patron for our podcast, my podcast, man, this is getting hard, um, to support this podcast for as little as a dollar a month, there are costs to host it on a website and to do all of that. And so um, you can go to our website, man, my website, manafoodforthought.com. Ooh, and um, check that out. All the stuff is there. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Man of Food for Thought. But anyway, let's get into peak pit plug and our topic for this episode. So uh, my peak this week is that um, all of the snags in our home are fixed. All of the um, like things that people have broken as they've been trying to repair this leak are fixed. And so we're still waiting on the leak repair. I mean, the leak is fixed, but the damage from the leak is not. However... Uh, yesterday, as I'm recording this, we got our uh, status of our claim approved. So our house can now be fixed. So today, this morning, it got tested for lead and asbestos because they have to do that. And then tomorrow, when that hopefully comes back negative, we can begin work. So that is so excited. Christmas is still on. We're going to do it here, obviously, in our um, temporary place. But, um, you know, there's a lot to be grateful for. And I'm, I'm, it was slow going. But um, I'm very excited that stuff is moving and things are getting fixed and not continuously broken. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, a little bit like 2020, right? Things just keep getting more and more broken, broken, broken. And now with vaccines coming, maybe they're starting to get fixed. It's kind of like there's a theme here. Um, but my pit this week is um, I have two pits. Um, the big one is that just a lot of people that I know and that we know, um, my wife and I, uh, know have COVID or there's just a lot of heaviness in their lives, other kind of suffering illness, other things going on on top of our situation, you know, in the world. And so I just ask that you pray for and reach out to those people around you and please pray for us as we try not to internalize all of this around us. And just for those intentions, for those people who really need healing and guidance and who are really dealing with dark times and, who this podcast episode is, is really dedicated to, you know, how to, how to have hope during all of that. So, um, but another pit that I'm having is that I really feel the Lord calling me to something new. I don't know what, 
Um, so if you could please pray for that and for my discernment. I don't know if it's a new you know, educational venture, new ministry. I mean, definitely want to evolve this podcast or kind of create an, a new one now that um, you know, Jen is officially taking a step back and um, I can kind of explore where the Lord is leading and how we kind of want to brand this anew. And so, <clears throat> um, yeah, just pray for that. Pray for that discernment because um, it's very... Um, I know, providing a lot of yearning on my heart, but um, I don't really know where to go with that. So anyway, um, my plug is uh, a book that I just finished that I want to talk a little bit about uh, in this episode, and that is a book by Henry Nowen, who is probably my favorite spiritual author, and it is called Turn My Morning Into Dancing, How to Have Hope in Dark Times. And I saw this book as I was exploring some of Nowen's writings I had not yet read, And I said, wow, what an appropriate book for this year. Let me get that. And it's a very easy read. It's only five sections. Um, You could read it in one sitting uh, or, you know, in a week slowly. I read it over a few days. So um, highly recommend it. Um, But basically, you know, I want to get into this by just kind of calling our attention to the fact that as a culture and even I think sometimes as a church, we tend to run away from pain and suffering. We, um, you think about this when someone has died. We, say, we don't say um, they're dead. We say um, they passed away. They left us. You know, we try and sugarcoat some of these difficult terms or ideas. You know, um, grieving is often done in silence. People often try and say, well, you know, at least this didn't happen. Or at least you still have this. Or, you know, they try and find the silver lining. And, you know, we can't, as Christians, we can't run away from the suffering and the awful things that have happened. Or that are happening. Um, we can't run away from the cross. It's like our symbol of victory. You know, we can't be Catholics who do not have a healthy understanding of how suffering, how the cross can lead to redemption, can lead to resurrection, that we should embrace those things, not seek them out, but be willing and ready to see purpose in them and, and how we can use them as an opportunity to grow, as an opportunity to invite Jesus to be with us. And so, you know, I don't say this to, you know, kind of justify any suffering. I don't think God, and and theologically speaking, it doesn't make any sense to say that God sends suffering to us to teach us things. No, that's not, it's not proper theology. Um, God doesn't want any sin or suffering. He created the Garden of Eden. That was his plan A. But now that sin and suffering have entered the world, he acts constantly to bring about a greater good from every you know, sin or suffering that happens. It says in the catechism that all suffering is the result of sin. So God obviously doesn't will it or create it, but he allows it because he respects our free will. He lets us sin if we don't, he's not going to force us to love him. And so because he allows sin to exist, suffering then exists. And, you know, he tries um, and continues to act to bring about our greatest good. But we need to cooperate with that. And so suffering really, pain, dark times are really an, an opportunity for us to sit in them with Jesus because Jesus has sat in them already. Think about the season we're about to celebrate, Christmas. This comes out actually, I think, the day after Christmas. And so happy, Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas season. Um, happy Christmas octave, I think. Um, so, but what is Christmas? It, what's the real gift of Christmas. It's the good news of the incarnation that Jesus became human. How do we give that gift? How do we explore and open that gift in our lives? If you look in the catechism, I believe in paragraphs 457 to 460 for the reasons for the incarnation. Two of those reasons are one that he shows us how to live 
so that he became humanness, but he, he human, but he shows us also how to live a fully human life, fullest emotions, fullest pain, worst death, fullest life. But the second reason is to allow us to become partakers in the divine nature, that we can uh, become more like Jesus in recognizing his humanity. There's divinity in that. So I, that might be a little kind of high theology, but I think if we sit with that first point, that he came to show us how to live, to show us what it means to be human, and to recognize that Jesus lived the most fully human life that's ever been lived. His senses were not dulled by sin. So when we experience happiness, Jesus experienced an even fuller version of happiness. When we experience sadness, he experienced an even fuller version of sadness. When we experience pain, he experienced the fullest version of pain, the worst death, the fullest life. It kind of reminds me, I don't know if you ever see these on YouTube, but when you have like these, um, you know, professionals, usually in sports, professional athletes i've seen this with basketball several times where they will get go to a makeup artist and get disguised as an old you know older person and then they'll go play like street ball um you know in disguise incognito i feel like jesus was kind of like the incognito human pro you know like he came and we always kind of like put him in this um costume explaining away his humanity and make him like the the most stoic you know, prudent, quiet, proper human possible. But no, like he lived the fullness of these things. If you think about the four human emotions, I think I've talked about this before, but the four human emotions, main human emotions are happiness, sadness, anger, and fear. Jesus has occasions in the gospels where he embodies each one of those. So happiness, Jesus would be at table celebrating eating and drinking with his friends and family so so often and so jubilantly that people accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. If you think about sadness, think about the occasion of Jesus mourning at the tomb of Lazarus. Why would he even shed a tear if he knew he showed up to resurrect him? But he experiences the sadness with us. And the word that's used there, actually, when he lets out this cry, it's actually the word that's used in Greek is this kind of animalistic, gut-wrenching reaction. That, like, down to his gut... In the very core of who he was, he felt this deep anxiety, sadness, that he cried out. If you think about anger, you know, look no further than Jesus flipping over the tables of the money changers in the temple area. And it says in one gospel account that he went and fashioned a whip. Think about how irritated someone would have to be to say like, okay, I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to go build my weapon to come and drive you out of this place. And he's sitting there putting the leather together and just like, oh, these guys are going to get it. You know, like he has experienced that righteous anger, not sinful anger, righteous anger. And then fear. Think of Jesus sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's a real biological condition. It's called hematidrosis, where your capillaries and your pores break down and you begin to bleed out of your pores due to extreme, so so rare because it's so extreme, extreme anxiety and distress. So do we have a faith in God that understands that our, our burdens are things that he's experienced even more fully? And do we use them as doorways to invite him to be with us in them. Henry Nouwen in this book, he, he has this great comparison between faith and fatalism. And he says these two things, they often start with the same uh, statement. There is nothing I can do. But with faith, we say there is nothing I can do 
but you understand God and you know what I need, you can do it. What fatalism says is there's nothing I can do. I'm alone in this. There's nothing to be done. And I contend to be a very fatalistic person. And I've probably many times this year in the midst of this pandemic been like, there's just nothing I can do. You know, just like, you know, why even try? But God is inviting us to a very similar phrase, a very similar admonition. There is nothing I can do, but there is so much that you can. Because Jesus has compassion. God has compassion for us. That word compassion, um, Henry Nouwen talks about this as well in his book. The word compassion means to suffer with. So we have the passion of the Christ, the suffering of the Christ, and then compassion means with suffering, to suffer with. Jesus wants to suffer with us. That's, I mean, it's what he came to do, to show us how to do it, but show us that he's with us in it. But if we don't let Jesus do this with us or allow others into our suffering, we can fall into what Henry Nouwen calls the opposite of compassion, and that is resentment. Have you ever had this when you, maybe you don't realize you're putting up walls or you feel like nobody understands, you start to kind of bitterly look at everyone else and say, like, I'm alone, no one cares, no one understands, if only they knew, you know, oh, look, must be nice to, you know, like we have those kind of resentful thoughts when compassion doesn't exist in our lives. But Jesus does know. He's with us. He has compassion. He is with you. I want you to hear this. If you're listening to this podcast and you're dealing with some kind of darkness right now, if you are really just overcome with hopelessness or you're just feeling very a lot of anxiety about the direction of your life or that nothing is happening or I wish things would move faster or there's nothing I can do, Jesus is with you. The word for compassion in Hebrew is rahaman which means guts, bowels, or womb. So as close as a child is to its mother in the womb, feeling and experiencing everything her body feels and experiences, that is how close the Lord desires to be to you. In your happiness, in your sadness, in your anger, in your fear, in every emotion and state of life, that is as close as he would like to be if you let him in. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is talking about this fact that he's been um, given this trial, this suffering to live with, and he asks God to remove it. Um, So he says, Therefore, that I might not become too elated, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, an angel of Satan to beat me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I begged the Lord about this, that it might leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. I will rather boast most gladly of my weaknesses in order that the power of Christ may dwell with me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and constraints for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We need to stop with the societal pressure to see our emotions as problems to be solved but rather experience them as graced doorways to deeper intimacy with others and ultimately with Jesus. Invite him into the darkness. He will bring hope. He will not explain it away or remove it. He will not take it out uh, of your life or uh, have you go around it. No, he will walk with you through it and turn your mourning into dancing. 
I don't think any saint embodies this better as the first saint that came to my mind as I was thinking about this than St. Stephen, the first martyr. And we hear his story in the Acts of the Apostles. He was believed to have um, lived um, for about 28 to 32 years, and he died somewhere around uh, 33 to 36 AD, shortly after the church started getting going, after Jesus had died and risen. Um, his feast day is today, December 26th, in the Western Church, if you're listening to this to the day this comes out. He's the patron saint of altar servers, casket makers, deacons, headaches, horses, and masons. What a uh, hodgepodge variety there. But uh, deacons and casket makers are uh, particularly appropriate because of the way that he lived and who he was and also the way that he died. So uh, it's probably... Pro- Probably why he's also uh, the patron saint of Masons, because of stones. So, anyway, if you don't know his story, you'll soon find out why. Um, So, uh, Stephen is first mentioned in the Acts of the Apostles as one of seven deacons who was appointed by the apostles to distribute food and charitable aid to the poorer members of the community uh, in the early church. Um, And so, he... um, was actually uh, considered the eldest of the seven. And so in church tradition, he's sometimes called an archdeacon, meaning the highest deacon. Um, And one of the other deacons, Nicholas of Antioch, uh, is specifically um, mentioned as being a convert to Judaism. So it can be assumed that the other deacons, including S- Stephen, were born Jewish, but nothing really is known about his previous life. And the reason he's appointed, and these seven people are appointed to uh, as deacons, um, they are, um, let's see if I can remember them, um, Stephen, Philip, um, Procorus, Timon, Nicanor, Parmenas, and um, Nicholas of Antioch. And so those are the seven people. You see them in Acts, um, I think like chapter seven, I believe, six or seven. Um, They were appointed because there was some dissatisfaction that the Hellenistic Jews, that is the Greek-influenced, Greek-speaking Jews, that their widows were being um, slighted, that they were being not provided for, in the daily distribution of food in the same way that the others were. And um, so these deacons were appointed to make sure that that happens. And so, and many people think because his name, Stephen's name is Stephanos, is Greek, that it might be assumed that he and these um, other deacons were some of these Hellenistic Jews. Um, but it's uh, said in Scripture that he is was uh, believed to be full of faith and the Holy Spirit had performed miracles um, through him among the people. Um, so he um, has this trial. He's accused um, of being, a, you know, a new believer, um, and he makes this um, <clears throat> speech denouncing Jewish authorities who were sitting in judgment on him. And then he uh, is stoned to death. Um, and the the speech is actually the longest in the book of Acts. You know, not Paul, not Peter, but Stephen's speech is the longest speech in Acts, and it's to the Sanhedrin all about their unwillingness to see what God has revealed in the Old Testament, how all these covenants, um, how Jesus fulfills all that's been promised. And that riles up the crowd that they stone him at the command of someone named Saul, who was a Pharisee who would later convert and be known as St. Paul. This is believed to have happened outside either the eastern or western gate of Jerusalem. Uh, In fact, the eastern gate to this day is called St. Stephen's Gate. Um, but it was the northern gate during the Crusades, and they would kind of champion the name of St. Stephen as someone who's willing to lay down his life for the faith. Um, in uh, 415 AD, so I don't know, 350 some odd years later, um, maybe close to 400 actually, a priest named Lucian uh, said that he had a dream that revealed the location of Stephen's remains at a place called Beit Jamal. 
And after that, they found relics there, um, and they found his relics. And so uh, they were taken to um, a church, a church called Hagia Sion, on December 26, 415, which is why today is December 26, his feast day. Um, those were moved around uh, over time because of wars and other things, um, and they were later uh, brought to Rome by Pope Pelagius II during the construction of a basilica, Basilica San Lorenzo Fiori Le Mura. I don't know what that means. Um, but they were uh, interred alongside the relics of St. Lawrence, who was also a martyr. And according to legend, the, the relics of St. Lawrence moved to one side of the case to make room for those of St. Stephen. I think that's super cool. Um, and in his book, The City of God, St. Augustine, he describes that many miracles uh, occurred in Africa when the relics of St. Stephen were brought there. And so um, the reason he is the, um, the, the kind of patron saint of this episode is because, you know, making... Seeing purpose, seeing Jesus in the midst of the most difficult situations is something that I think St. Stephen embodies in the moment of his martyrdom. So I want to read for you Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to 60, this final moments of Stephen's life. Um, When they heard this, this is the Sanhedrin about his speech, they were infuriated and they ground their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked up intently to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out in a loud voice, covered their ears, and rushed upon him together. They threw him out of the city and began to stone him. The witnesses laid down their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell to his knees and cried out in a loud voice, Lord Do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He echoes that forgiveness on the cross that Jesus has. And one of those last words of Jesus, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Stephen is kind of this, you know, what's uh, not a foreshadowing, an aftershadowing. He's a, you know, uh, similar type of guy. I don't know what the word is for that. But to Jesus, like he embodies these same attitudes about even in the darkest moment of suffering, bringing God into that place and seeing a deeper purpose, going through it, not trying to escape it, not trying to explain it away, not trying to say everything's okay, it doesn't hurt that bad, someone please help, 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 but really receiving. Now, I'm not saying if you're in a situation where you're like life is on the line, you shouldn't try and escape or like help yourself, but recognize like this is an example for us in moments of darkness and suffering. Uh, by people who experience much more darkness and suffering than probably many of us that are, you know, many of you listening to this are, um, not to discount it, but to show that, like, if they can do it then, then it goes to show logically that we should and we should attempt to do it now in our suffering, in our darkness. Now, I don't uh, I don't profess to know how dark your darkness is, and I, I don't mean to make it sound like it's it's light or not a burden, because I'm sure that, you know, many people listening to this or who may come to it many you know months or years after this podcast first airs are um, going through something terrible you know something unimaginable and so i just i want to invite you don't try and run away from that don't act like you have to put on a happy face and a mask for people because uh i mean not literally a mask but like a, a you know a we're gonna have to you know figure out a way around that pun now but like a social mask on to be like everything's fine everything's okay i'm holding it together when you're not 
because you're missing an opportunity, I think, to invite people to have compassion for you and especially to invite God to be in the mess with you. And so I invite you, when you're sad, imagine Jesus weeping next to you at the tomb of Lazarus. When you are afraid, imagine Jesus anxiously bleeding out of his pores in the Garden of Gethsemane, kneeling in prayer next to you. When you're angry, I invite you to imagine fired up Jesus making that whip, muttering to himself next to you. And when you are happy and good, do not forget to have gratitude and invite Jesus into that celebration so that he can come and celebrate to eat good food and drink with you. Even to the point where people might call him a glutton and a drunkard, even though he wasn't. Probably because they didn't have a spirit of celebration that Jesus did. To see good even in the midst of darkness. To know that all of the sin and suffering that he encountered and all those he didn't even see in the people, you know, people far across the earth, uh, in the past and in the future, that he was going to have to take all that on. And yet he still celebrated. He still made relationships, made an effort. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what ministry is. In fact, Henry Nouwen, one final thing in his book says, you know, the minister goes where the pain is and he stays there. Not to fix it, not to come up with a solution, not to solve the problem, but just to sit there. Jesus did that. I invite you to do it for the people in your life who need it. Invite others to do it for you and admit when you need help. But above all, to allow Jesus to know the real, messy, emotional you and know that Jesus is real, messy, and emotional too. My brothers and sisters, I pray that this episode blesses you. I pray that you can have hope in times of darkness and that the Lord will use this episode and other things in your life to turn moments of mourning in your life into opportunities to dance with him. I pray this blesses you. Know that I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. And until next time, we'll see you in the Eucharist. Bye.